0: This Saturday and Sunday on the Voice of America.
1: This is VOA News. Reporting via remote. I'm Richard Green. Complaining the West is stuffing Ukraine with weapons, Russia is bombarding railroad stations and other targets in an attempt to cut off weapon supplies. Ukrainians foreign minister has accused Russia of using missile terrorism tactics to spread fear. Air raid sirens sounded in cities across the country Wednesday night. Attacks were reported near the capital, Kiev, and in Dnipro, where a rail facility was hit. Heavy fighting continued at a steel mill in Mariupol, the last stronghold of Ukrainian resistance in the ruined port city. The attacks came as the European Union moved, moved to further punish Moscow for the war by proposing a ban on oil imports. U.S. President Joe Biden on Wednesday said he would speak with other leaders from the group of seven advanced economies this week about potential additional sanctions against Russia over its war in Ukraine. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said the United States was in constant discussions with its partners about further sanctions and could take additional actions to pressure Moscow. At a Wall Street Journal conference, Yellen would not preview any specific actions under consideration but stressed further measures were likely if Russia continues this war against Ukraine. Biden was asked at the White House about U.S. plans after the European Union proposes toughest sanctions yet against Russia, including a phased oil embargo.
2: With regard to the additional sanctions, we're always open to additional sanctions. And I've been in consultation, I've been speaking with the members of the G7 this week about what we're going to do or not do.
1: Russia has intensified its its offensive in eastern Ukraine, Ukraine's defense ministry said on Wednesday, nearly 10 weeks into a war that has killed thousands of people, uprooted millions, and flattened dozens of Ukrainian cities. This is VOA News. Several humanitarian groups are warning that the number of people facing acute hunger around the world is growing at an alarming rate and calling for action to tackle the life-threatening crisis. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva.
3: The Global Network says around 193 million people experienced extreme hunger last year, with more than half a million on the brink of famine in Ethiopia, southern Madagascar, South Sudan, and Yemen. Authors of the report warn the crisis is set to worsen this year. They say the key drivers of food insecurity, conflict, climate change, and the COVID-19 pandemic are pushing increasing numbers of people into poverty. They say people are not able to afford the price of a meal. The executive director of the World Food Program, David Beasley, calls it a perfect storm. He says whatever progress has been made in feeding the destitute is being lost because of Afghanistan, Ethiopia, and now Ukraine.
2: We look around the world, 276 million people marching towards starvation. And now we got the breadbasket of the world being turned into bread lines. Who would have ever thought that we would see this in our time, our lifetime? Mass migration taking place out of Ukraine. And it's going to devastate the food security. Uh, situation around the world
3: the global network is calling for coordinated collective action to address the food and nutrition crisis it says emergency funding is needed now to pull starving people back from the brink and longer-term action to create more sustainable agri-food systems lisa schlein for voa news geneva
1: guinea's attorney general has ordered legal proceedings against ousted president alpha condi and 26 of his former officials for alleged crimes including acts of violence while in office a court document showed on wednesday the 84 year old condi was overthrown in a military coup last september by officers who now run the country anger against him had mounted after he altered the constitution to run for a third term in 2020. the charges against condi and his allies range from complicity in murder and assault to destruction of property referring to violence that broke out around the disputed election. Condi's decision to run for a third term sparked repeated protests, resulting in dozens of deaths, including at least 17 in skirmishes between protesters and police after the vote. Recapping our top story, Russia is bombarding railroad stations and other targets in Ukraine in an attempt to cut off weapon supplies. Ukrainian's foreign minister has accused Russia of using missile terrorism tactics to spread fear. Reporting via remotes, I'm Richard Green for VOA News.
4: Today is Thursday, May 5th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinado Afo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour... The EU's chief called for a ban on Russian oil imports as part of the new package of sanctions over the war in Ukraine.
0: We are listing high-ranking military officers and individuals who committed war crimes in Bucha and those who are responsible for the inhuman siege of the city of Mariupol.
4: North Korea fires another ballistic missile towards the sea off its east coast.
5: China really has an interest in making sure that tensions with North Korea don't get out of hand. They especially are worried about possibly a nuclear test from North Korea. And aid
4: agencies warn the number of people facing global acute hunger is growing. We'll have those stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. The European Union's chief executive has called on the 27-nation bloc to ban oil imports from Russia in a sixth package of sanctions over the war in Ukraine. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen told EU lawmakers on Wednesday that she envisions member nations phasing out imports of crude oil within six months and refined products by the end of the year. Von der Leyen considered that getting all 27 EU members to agree on oil sanctions, quote, will not be easy.
0: Today we are presenting our sixth package of sanctions. First, we are listing high-ranking military officers and individuals who committed war crimes in Bucha and those who are responsible for the inhuman siege of the city of Mariupol. This sends another important signal to all perpetrators of the Kremlin. We know who you are. We will hold you accountable. You're not getting away with this. Second, we finally de-swift SpareBank. SpareBank is, one of the, is the largest Russian bank. It holds around about 37% of the whole banking sector. And we will also de-swift two other major banks in Russia. By that, we hit banks that are systemically critical to the Russian financial system and Putin's ability to wage destruction. We're banning three big Russian state-owned broadcasters from our airwaves. They will not be allowed to distribute their content anymore in the European Union, in whatever shape or form, be it on cable, via satellite, on the Internet, or via smartphone apps. We have identified these TV channels as mouthpieces that amplify Putin's lies and propaganda aggressively. And we should not give them a stage anymore to spread these lies. Today, we are addressing our dependency on Russian oil. And let's be clear, it will not be easy. Because some member states are strongly dependent on Russian oil. But we simply have to do it. So today, we will propose to ban all Russian oil from Europe. This will be a complete import ban on all Russian oil seaborne and pipeline. Putin wanted to wipe out Ukraine from the map, and he will clearly not succeed. On the contrary, Ukraine has risen in bravery and in unity, and it is his own country, Russia, that Putin is sinking.
4: Thus, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, inside Ukraine, Russia intensified its bombing in the eastern and southern parts of the country, Actions that Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky characterized as Russian forces reacting, quote, with great anger unquote to their Ukrainian military successes. However, Ukrainian media reported Wednesday that Russian forces have breached the defense perimeter of the Azvotal Steel and Ironworks plant in Mariupol. Anna Chenikova in Kyiv shares more with Flashpoints Ukraine's Steve Miller.
6: Apparently Russian forces managed to enter Azovstal plant. For the moment, heavy fights are happening on the territory of the plant. There is no additional information for the moment because Ukrainian soldiers did not reach Mariupol officials, so they were not in contact today at all. What we know is that the whole night Russian forces were trying to break through, and the whole night there were heavy air attacks on the hostile plant. Evacuation happened today. We don't know yet any results of it, but according to the officials, civilians were taken away. But again, I cannot also confirm yet, because we don't have information about them reaching any of the points at the controlled territory of Ukraine. And also, just final thing on Mariupol, it was the Associated Press investigation, which confirmed that, as you remember, uh, it was a very loud case of Mariupol drama theater attack. So it was just confirmed that at least 600 people have died so this is the most massive attack so far uh, in terms of civilian attacks unfortunately the number might could be bigger because uh, according to the investigation it was only confirmed that 200 people survived and at least thousand were inside so we'll see what you know what investigation would bring us to but for the moment this is definitely the most massive attack on the civilians
7: I also want to ask you about the fighting that's taking place in the Donbass region.
5: What more can you share with us?
6: Uh, what we can definitely see and um, this is what Ukrainian officials confirm and they confirm this every day that Russian forces are trying to push and trying to hurry because the 9th of May is coming and this is uh, exactly the date when they want to show and they have to basically according to what uh, Russian officials uh, are trying to you know uh, demonstrate to the whole world so they have to show a certain result and they are trying basically to get into the administrative borders of of Luhansk and Donetsk regions. But Ukrainian soldiers made it impossible for Russian forces Uh, We can definitely see uh, that it's not going to be... So Russian forces not going to be able to reach any of that by the May 9. Uh, Next to Izum, which is one of the main points uh, and main fighting areas right now, um, Ukrainian forces made a couple of successful operations and destroyed a lot of Russian forces. In particular, uh, they uh, realized an attack on the uh, commander uh, center uh, on two command centers, actually, and um, reportedly, hundreds of uh, of Russian forces uh, are dead, uh, and. Uh uh, one very important general is injured and one might be dead, but this is not confirmed yet. But definitely Zoom, which is Kharkiv region, and also uh, Luhansk and Donetsk regions are actually uh, protected quite well. Uh, what we also see that uh, situation is escalating. So Russian forces are trying to regroup. Russian forces are trying to proceed with some liner attacks on the particular areas. Uh, but for the moment, we do not see any success for them. But, you know, what I can definitely say that situation is getting much more difficult and Ukrainian officials uh, highlighted that closer it is to the 9th of May, Ukrainian soldiers will be more and more attentive because a lot of things could change and a lot of attacks could grow.
4: That's Anna Janikova speaking with Flashpoint's Ukraine, Steve Miller from Kyiv. South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said that North Korea fired a ballistic missile towards the sea off its east coast on Wednesday, about a week after Pyongyang vowed to develop its nuclear forces, quote, at the fastest possible speed, unquote. This after China's envoy for Korean affairs, Liu Xiaoming, met with South Korean counterpart, Noh Kyu-Dok, in Seoul on Tuesday to discuss the recent security situation on the Korean Peninsula. North Korea has conducted a flurry of weapon tests this year, from hypersonic missiles to intercontinental ballistic missiles. For more, I spoke with VOA's Seoul bureau chief, Bill Gallo.
5: The Chinese envoy for North Korean issues has been holding a series of meetings really across the world, I would say, in the last couple of months. He's met with U.S. officials, he's met with European officials, really even officials that really don't have much to do with Korean Peninsula issues. It seems that he is just sort of explaining China's view On North Korea. So no, I wouldn't necessarily say this is indication that there is something very important going on behind the scenes. China really has an interest in making sure that tensions with North Korea don't get out of hand. They especially are worried about possibly a nuclear test from North Korea. But at the same time, they are very much increasingly taking North Korea's side on many issues uh, related to tensions with the United States and South Korea a lot of what North Korea has done and saying, hey, look, you guys, meaning the rest of the world, the United States and its allies in particular, need to do more to meet North Korean demands.
4: Some say the discussions, wide-ranging discussions with many countries, with many partners, it's much better than just the fear of some kind of a ballistic missile gone wrong in North Korea or within the Korean peninsula.
5: What we do know for sure is that China has given North Korea lots of leeway here in order to test missiles and and possibly even conduct a nuclear test and things like that. The other thing that North Korea is really taking advantage of is sort of the geopolitical situation. This really is in their favor. But it's a very unique time. The world is very much distracted. The world, meaning much of of Europe and the United States, I'm defining this as for this particular context, is really focused on Ukraine and Russia. Russia has really dominated much of the attention of world bodies like the United Nations, multilateral bodies like the European Union and alliances such as NATO. There is so much attention on Russia right now that North Korea could pretty much do whatever it wants to a large extent and really not have too many ramifications for it. The other factor here is that there is so much tension between China and the United States and Russia and the United States that essentially those countries don't really feel the need to put much pressure on North Korea. In fact, there are many analysts who say that China and Russia would be using North Korea to put more pressure on the United States.
4: Why is Seoul engaging in these discussions and these talks when some analysts say it's almost an exercise in futility that the North will not even take seriously?
5: It's really sort of a mystery to a lot of analysts why South Korea's current administration has put as much effort into negotiating with North Korea as it has over the last several years when it's got no response from North Korea at all Uh, You know, after the Trump-Kim talks broke down, basically North Korea said, well, we're not talking to you at all, South Korea. See you later. And yet uh, you've seen a lot of effort and attempts by South Koreans to really re-engage North Korea. It's even a bit more confusing now because the liberal South Korean administration is about to leave office here in, well, six days. That administration, which really wanted talks with North Korea, is about to go. We're going to get a conservative administration coming in. Uh, They are taking a more tough approach to North Korea, but they may also be open to talks. So perhaps this has something to do with that. Regardless, it doesn't seem like North Korea is interested in talking anytime soon.
4: That's VOSO Bureau Chief Bill Gallo speaking with me from the South Korea capital. The Global Network, an alliance of humanitarian and developmental agencies, warns the number of people facing acute hunger around the world is growing at an alarming rate. The network, which includes the European Union, UN Food and Agriculture Organization and the World Food Programme, is calling for action to tackle the life-threatening crisis. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva.
3: The global network says around 193 million people globally experienced extreme hunger last year, with more than half a million on the brink of famine in Ethiopia, southern Madagascar, South Sudan and Yemen. Authors of the report warn the crisis is set to worsen this year. They say the key drivers of food insecurity, conflict, climate change and the COVID-19 pandemic are pushing increasing numbers of people into poverty. They say people are not able to afford the price of a meal. The executive director of the World Food Program, David Beasley, calls it a perfect storm. He says whatever progress has been made in feeding the destitute is being lost because of Afghanistan, Ethiopia, and now Ukraine.
2: We look around the world, 276 million people marching towards starvation, and now we got the breadbasket of the world being turned into breadlines. Who would have ever thought that we would see this in our time, our lifetime, mass migration taking place out of Ukraine, and it's going to devastate the food security uh, situation around the world.
3: He notes Ukraine and Russia together produce 30 percent of the world's wheat, 20 percent of the world's maize, and up to 80 percent of sunflower seed oil. He says those supplies are not moving out of Ukraine because Russia has blockaded Black Sea ports.
2: If we don't get ahead of this thing, we will have not just famine in multiple countries around the world, because, you know, we've got additional droughts and all types of issues, but you will have destabilization of some nations and you'll have mass migration by necessity. And no one wants that.
3: UNICEF Executive Director Catherine Russell warns the global food crisis threatens the very survival of children. She calls good nutrition the bedrock of child survival and development. By stark contrast, inadequate nutrition is a leading cause of child mortality. In fact, nearly half of all deaths of children under five are attributable to undernutrition. We now estimate by the end of 2021, 50 million children were suffering from wasting the most life-threatening form of malnutrition. We expect this number is now higher. The global network is calling for coordinated collective action to address the food and nutrition crisis. It says emergency funding is needed now to pull starving people back from the brink and longer-term action to create more sustainable agri-food systems. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva.
4: In other news, Beijing has closed 60 subway stations as an additional measure against the spread of the coronavirus. The subway authority in a brief message said only the downtown stations were being shut as part of epidemic control measures. No date for the resumption of service was given. Beijing has been on high alert for the spread of COVID-19, with restaurants and bars limited to takeout, gyms closed and classes suspended indefinitely. Residents are required to undergo three virus tests throughout the week. Authorities are aiming to detect and isolate cases without imposing the sort of sweeping lockdowns seen in Shanghai and elsewhere. Shanghai is slowly easing restrictions after almost a month or longer. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voanews.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am chin in Washington. The African Union and the United States have condemned an attack by Al Shabaab militants on an AU base in Somalia that militants say killed 173 troops.
8: Ahmed Mohamed reports from the Somali capital, Mogadishu. In separate statements, the U.S. embassy in Mogadishu and the African Union condemned the attack on the soldiers serving under the African Union transition mission in Somalia, known as ATMIS. The embassy said... It was in solidarity with the AU and Somali forces in their quest for stability in Somalia. Earlier, AU Commission Chairman Mausa Mohammed offered his condolences to the families of the fallen soldiers and reaffirmed that AU's commitment to achieving peace and instability in the Horn of Africa country. The militant group Al Shabaab claimed through its media affiliate that more than 170 soldiers were killed in the Tuesday morning attack, which targeted an Atmi's base in El Elbara village in Somalia's Middle Shabelle region. About 250 soldiers from Burundi were on the base at that time. The Burundian government says 10 of its AU soldiers were killed, with 25 others were wounded, and that 20 terrorists were neutralised. Atmi's headquarters has not issued an official casualty figures. However, in an interview with French news agency, a high-ranking Burundian military officer said 30 soldiers were killed in the attack and 22 others wounded. al Shabab has carried out a wave of deadly attacks during Somalia's nine-month long electoral period. Somalia's parliament met on Wednesday and selected a 17-member committee to organize the presidential election. The president will be chosen by the parliament on a date set by the committee. Ahmed Mohamed, for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia.
4: As the Philippines prepares for national elections, victims of torture and abuse during the administration of the late dictator Ferdinand Marcos Sr. are trying to derail the presidential candidacy of his son, Ferdinand Bongong Marcos Jr., seen as the frontrunner in the May 9th vote. Dave Gronenbaum has the story. Marcelo
3: victim. Marcelo victim po ako Marcos.
7: Walking along the streets and alleys of Kalaocan are Danilo De La Fuente and Santiago Metela. They're bringing stickers and leaflets to go with their personal stories of torture during the Ferdinand Marcos regime. I
5: experienced
7: the mental
2: Hello, torture. To
9: of a me. a hundred hundred hundred
8: hundred One bullet was spun three times. I was alive. connected to
1: my toes while I was standing.
8: Uh, on my I was through my private parts. So,
7: during Marcos' two-decade reign from the mid-1960s to the mid-80s, thousands of people were tortured, killed, or disappeared. The Marcos family is accused of stealing $5 billion to $10 billion from the government while he was in power. Now the late dictator's son and namesake holds a wide lead in the polls for the May 9th presidential election. Ferdinand Marcos Jr. has not addressed the atrocities that happened when his father was in power and has repeatedly dismissed questions from local reporters about the billions of dollars in unpaid estate taxes that the family owes the government.
8: to the
9: we
7: attempts to
9: tell
7: his story and uh, these two men do not always get a warm reception someone off-camera warns they could get hurt Nerissa roa Azania is a 54-year-old grandmother who runs a small stand selling snacks and cigarettes. Mar- she dismissed De La Fuente and Mattel's talk about torture. For me, it was fake news because I didn't know anything about it. If I experienced it myself, I would say that it's true, but I didn't. So for me, it's fake news. Carlos Conde of Human Rights Watch says this opinion is not uncommon for many older generations who did not see the abuses firsthand, and many young voters who were not alive during the Marcos regime have been influenced by massive social media disinformation campaigns. Flipping the story about the corruption, uh, people are saying that the Marcos era was the golden years of the Philippines, uh, which uh, you know, is the opposite of what actually happened. So for De La Fuente and Matella, the work continues to try to bring the truth to one voter at a time. Dave Grunenbaum for VOA News, Calo Ocon, Philippines.
9: Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and a panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including in a rare leak from the highest court in the U.S., the political journalism company Politico reports it has obtained a draft Supreme Court opinion showing much of the court in favor of striking down the landmark Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion nationwide. Join us for issues in the news this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America.
4: This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voanews.com. Until next time, I am Tinello from Washington, wishing you a great day.
2: Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.
9: The recently released annual threat assessment by the U.S. intelligence community predicts that Iran will remain a regional menace with broader malign influence activities. The report notes that U.S. personnel partners and interests are at risk from the Iranian regime's support for terrorist proxies and the rogue Syrian regime, as well as from Iran's growing willingness to engage in aggressive cyber attacks. In addition, Iran continues to work on its ballistic missile program and has resumed certain nuclear activities beyond the limits set by the Iran nuclear deal. The United States withdrew from the deal, known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA, in 2018 under the previous administration. For the past year, the United States has been in indirect negotiations with Iran over a mutual return to full implementation of the JCPOA. As State Department spokesperson Ned Price said, every challenge that we face and would face from Iran, whether that is its support for proxies, its support for terrorist groups, its ballistic missile program, would be all the more difficult to confront if Iran were in the possession of a nuclear weapon. The first thing we want to do is put Iran's nuclear program back in a box to take that challenge off the table. There has been significant progress in the nuclear negotiations, but they have paused in recent weeks over a number of unresolved issues. At a press conference, spokesperson Price said the United States is prepared for a return to full JCPOA implementation. We are also prepared for broader diplomatic efforts to resolve issues outside of the JCPOA, he declared. If the Iranians do not want to use these talks to resolve other bilateral issues, then we are confident we can very quickly reach an understanding on the JCPOA and begin to re-implement the deal itself. It is Iran that needs to make this decision. Spokesperson Price emphasized that the United States is equally prepared for scenarios in which there is a mutual return to compliance with the JCPOA and scenarios in which there is not a mutual return. We would, he said, greatly prefer the former, to have the JCPOA and the verifiable permanent limits that it would again impose on Iran's nuclear program. Whether we are able to get there or not, that is a question for Iran.
2: That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.